0: We're going to continue with our everyday disciple message this morning. Uh, About a week after I arrived from Centralia, I realized that uh, not having my wife with me uh, meant that I had a lot of free time. It's weird. It's really strange. She's here this morning, by the way, which is good to have her here. Um, But I'm sitting around kind of fumbling with what to do. We've been married 31 years, so her kind of being with me is just kind of how it's always been, it seems like. And uh, so, you know, one night I just turned on the TV, and I just happened on this new TV show that's called American Auto. Anybody watch this? Okay, so it's about this sort of failing automaker with a new uh, uh, CEO played by uh, Anna Gasteyer. who used to be on Saturday Night Live. And uh, anyways, they get started... They're developing a new car, a new hybrid self-driving automobile called the Ponderosa, and they're supposed to do a big press uh, uh, unveiling of this car. And shortly before the unveiling of the car, they realize that the self-driving automobile has a little bit of a tendency to run over people, (laughs) usually people in protected classes. It runs over them. And uh, so they're like, what do we do? We don't know what to do about this. And so in the last weeks before this big unveiling, they decide to put together a new car and call it the Ponderosa. And they do it putting together parts from other cars. And uh, do you remember that old Johnny Cash song? It was a 51, 52, 53, One, one, yeah, so that's kind of what they do here. They put this car together with, and they come up with this, I think we might have a picture. It's a phenomenally ugly car. You can tell it's made up of different colors, and uh, she has to kind of put lipstick on this pig and uh, try to sell it to uh, the press, and the press is not having anything to do with it, but because it's a bunch of pieces of different cars that were never meant to fit together. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know what? That can sometimes be an image of what we do with church in the United States and in the West. You know, we're, we're kind of living in fear that the culture is overwhelming us. And so we think we better get better. And so we start looking around at other churches and we find what they're doing well. So we may steal this church's children's program and we might steal this church's uh, music program. We might even steal their staff. And we start, we start putting together this, this new church made up of our best ideas, what we think is right, you know. And it kind of comes out looking like the Ponderosa. Yeah, it drives. You can move it. But it's not that good of a car. And the reality is it's not a car designed for its environment. And here's what I believe. I believe that In Centralia, Washington, in 2022, God is, if we are faithful and if we are listening, God is uniquely assembling a family of faith on Borst Avenue to reach out not only into this community, but to reach out into this world. And I believe that God has uniquely brought this group of people together that look different from each other, that have different backgrounds, that have different skill sets, different giftedness. And he's brought us together and is sort of knitting us together into this new community that is uniquely designed for our place and our time to have the most impact. And our job is not to create the plan. Our job is to listen to the plan of God and move into that. Does that make sense? And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that this morning. God is creating his church, and he wants this church that is unique. And, and he, he, there's, there's a word that Paul uses a whole bunch in all of his epistles and all of his little letters. He uses the word unity a lot. Unity is a major theme for Paul. And it must have been an issue in the first century, and I'm, I'm thinking it's probably an issue right now in 2022, isn't it? Unity in the kingdom of God. So I want to talk a little bit about a couple of things this morning. One is unity and how that fits into our giftedness and how people from different backgrounds and, and different tastes can come together and be unified for, and, and use our skill sets and our gifts to impact the world for God. Out of respect for God's word, why don't we stand this morning? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Matt was already in Ephesians a little bit. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except also that he descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From, the whole, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Lord Jesus, speak to us today as we evaluate your word. God, help us first. Before we evaluate our neighbors, God, help us to evaluate our own hearts, our own lives, our own motives. God, help us to consider how you have uniquely put us together as individuals to be your ministers in this community. And then God, give us the courage and faith to step into that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to cover a lot of territory this morning. I'm going to move pretty quickly. So if you'd like to take notes, get the pens ready, stretch the wrist a little bit there, uh, because here we go. First off, we are called to be unity keepers. We're called to be unity keepers. Note that we are not called to be unity makers. I think that's an interesting choice of words that Paul used. Paul is pointing out to a fact that God when he created this body of believers, the church, his bride, as it's referred to, the bride of Christ, he created a unified body. And then human tastes and human desires came in and started putting strains on that. What Paul is calling here is a return to unity, He says, keep the unity of the spirit. The unity already exists. The unity, by the way, is exemplified, is modeled in the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit, one, working together. By the way, one becomes a big word in this passage, doesn't it? There are a lot of ones mentioned, you may have noticed. We'll talk about that in a bit. Unity, as God designed his church, is the norm. Catch that? Unity is the norm. Unity is where we, are, where we start and where we're supposed to be. We need to be reminding ourselves to come back to it. God invites us into this, universe, uh, this unity to be partakers and participants in what he is doing. By the way, he says we're to what? Make every, anybody? Effort. We're to make every effort. This is a, this is a true statement. Unity requires work, doesn't it? Doesn't unity require some work? Unity for us kind of doesn't come naturally. Remember when your kids were little? If you ask your kids what you wanted to, what they wanted to do, how often did you get a unified response, you know? When the Malmons decide where to go out to eat, we don't even get a unified response, you know? Unity, I don't think for us as individuals, for the church, it's it's where it's supposed to be. As individuals, I don't think unity is always our, our default setting. We're supposed to make every effort. And he says we're supposed to make every effort through the bond of peace. I've read this passage probably hundreds of times over the years, and I was wondering, what is this bond of peace? We're supposed to make every effort for unity through the bond of peace. I was kind of thinking about that this week. What is the bond of peace? You know what what John Wesley, last week Devin quoted John Wesley. You know what John Wesley said the bond of peace was? He said it was love. Love is the bond of peace, right? And love can even require significant work. True, spirit-filled love is the glue that holds us together, but it doesn't always come naturally. And we have differences, right? I think when we come into the church, we make a covenant with one another that we're gonna love each other. We make a covenant. Now we come in here and some of us uh, tilt one way politically, some tilt the other way politically. Some of us have lots of resources, some of us have little resources, some of us like rock and roll, some of us like classical. So coming together in unity requires love these vows that we make to each other, this covenant that we're gonna come in here, even though we've got differences, we're gonna love one another and we're gonna wrestle through those differences. I think it's one of the reasons that, um, that in in, in selecting imagery for what the church is like, this this idea of bride and bridegroom, I I think is, is vital. And I think marriage is a covenant and is also sort of a good model for how we're to relate to one another in relationships. Um, I found this this week. Uh, that's my engagement photo. That's Anita and I. Uh, yeah, I don't know why you're applauding that. Thank you. Uh, that's before I ate my twin. Um, that's, uh, so that's Anita and I. That's 19, I think that picture is probably taken in early 1991. So that's a long time ago. Uh, and I tell you what, when I, when I first met Anita, when I first saw I met, met Anita at a basketball game. I looked her and I thought, oh yeah. I like her. I didn't even know her, uh, I, and uh, and we started uh, we started dating shortly thereafter, and we're married ten months later. And so that's pretty quick. And we got married, and uh, you know we've been married for a few months. And uh, I started to realize, well, she does things differently than the way I do things. Anybody? Anybody know this? Dallas, Linda, you got anything here? Nothing? No? Always not? Okay. Um, I realized that... Um, well, let me talk for her. Because this will be much safer for me if I do it this way. She realized that I was a little quirky. Okay? And did things a little differently. And uh, over time, uh, sometimes we would we would... Uh, but heads like one of the things I noticed early on. I like to be early to everything, and Anita likes to be almost on time to many things. Right, honey? Yeah. And uh, so uh, I noticed that. The other thing I noticed is that I'm uh, I'm loud, and she's quiet. Okay, and that creates problems for us when we. And I'm going to tell you this, a little self-revelation here. You probably didn't know this happened, but pastors and their spouses, wait for it, fight. (laughs) All right? And so we've had, right? We've had some fights over the years. And the first time we really had a fight, it went really horribly because we came at, her family was always, twice you saw your parents? have a fight? We didn't see. Oh, no, you never saw your parents have a fight. Twice you heard your parents have a fight. I always do it the other way, only twice you heard it. The Malmans, growing up, we fought about everything. Like we yelled when we were mad, we yelled when we were sad, we yelled when we were happy, we just yelled. Now here's the thing. What made us different wasn't right or wrong, this, this different, it's just how we're wired, right? And it's like the church, we come here and we're all wired in different ways, aren't we? And, um, and here's, here's, here's what, what I wanted to point out with this. Differences, while difficult, are our strength. And, and by the way, Anita, if she'd been exactly like me, would not have been interesting to me. And maybe the same in reverse, right? That, that there is something when we, when we encounter somebody who approaches the world differently than us that is interesting, right? And the church is made up of different people with different skill sets and we're designed to work the best when we bring our individuality here and then lovingly put it together in the service of the church, it was interesting. You know, we had uh, nominations for our leadership last last week, and we were nominating uh, for you know different roles in the church, and we're looking at different skill sets for the new elders. We don't want all of our elders to look the same, you know. We want them to have different sort of backgrounds and come at us with different, uh, same faith, different views on maybe how things run. Uh, you know, with the finance committee, I'll be honest, when we were looking for nominees, um, uh, some of you were in that meeting, you know, uh, we did not, when we were creating the, the finance, property and finance team, we did not nominate any of our artists, Right? We nominated people that had financial and property experience. That's their giftedness, that's their skill set. So we sort of moved those people into leadership. So the differences of us coming together can be our strong suit. The challenge is coming together when we're so different in a way that is unified. Our unity is based on God's plan for his people. Our unity is based on God's plan for his people. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord one faith one baptism one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all Paul right here stops and gives us a theology lesson he says yep you're different I cre- God created you that way But there is a unified truth here that we can rally on. Important theology. Some might say what Paul's talking about here is sort of essentials of what we choose to all, we are all different, but we choose when we come together as God's family of faith to agree on these one principles, one body. We believe that there is one church. Now, let me tell you something that's shocking. It's not just the Centralia Community Church of God. That globally around the world today, there are believers gathering in every tribe and nation, every tongue, in every corner of this planet, and that is God's church. One church that we are a part of. Around town today, the Assembly of God church, the Christian church, the Nazarene church, the community church, we are one. Now, We disagree on maybe some minor theological points, but on these one words, there is agreement. One Spirit. We all believe the Spirit of God is at work at one with Father and Son, this triune God. We agree on that. One hope. The Bible says we are saved by grace through what? Faith. That is our one hope. Salvation through Jesus Christ. There is only one God. We live in a world Where there are many gods, right? And probably more than ever false gods on the planet right now. And we come together around the world and we say, we stand against that, we stand for the one God, Yahweh. One faith. We just mentioned in Jesus. And one God and Father of all who is over all and in all, uh, through all and in all. Here's the thing. In this world of competing gods, where there are many, in this world where we have this cultural relativism where all truths are sort of the equal, and we can even say silly sentences like my truth, there is really only one truth. And we're called to unite around it. It's why it's so vitally important that we as God's kingdom people live a life devoted to God, where in our own individual lives, we are saying God is over everything else. It's one thing to scream at the world's other gods, but if we ourselves have many gods, right? Money, popularity, we set a bad example, and we are called primarily to set that example. This is our unity we may like different music, different clothes. We may have long hair. We may have short hair. We may prefer the arts. We may be sports fans, but regardless of our race, place, or status, we are one in our immovable belief in Jesus Christ. One of the things I like is he said, I didn't mention one of the ones. You may have caught that. He said there was one baptism as well. I like that. I have seen people baptized in dirty rivers in Bangladesh, in the ocean in Haiti, in a font in Centralia, this hot tub, right? And you know what? It's one baptism. We are united with those who call on the name of the Lord. We are a one baptism people. Right now around the world on every continent, People are being baptized, and they're your brothers and sisters as though and as much as if they were sitting right next to you today, and we're called to minister to one another. Now, let me give you a a little kind of warning here, too. Unity can be perverted. Unity can actually be like a dangerous thing from time to time, and so I want to kind of make sure that we're clear about what biblical unity, Jesus-based unity actually is, And I want to point out a couple things that it is not. Biblical unity does not ignore false or dangerous teaching, false doctrine. The same Paul that talks so much about unity was one of the first to point out when there were grievous errors in theology that were causing people to actually wander away from the true Jesus. We talked about one last week, right? With the Judaizers, with the circumcision group, as he called them. Unity actually points out dangerous trends and dangerous theologies and dangerous practice, not to damage unity, but to keep unity together, that we need to run away from false teaching. The church is actually called to be a corrective place. That's why we have, and Ephesians talks about that, pastors and teachers. We're called, and hopefully when you come here, you receive good biblical teaching, right? It's a chance for us all to be reminded that we need to kind of come together around these truths. Now, let me tell you what biblical unity is also not, and this will ruffle some feathers, potentially, but biblical unity is not denominational or organizational unity, okay? And here's what I mean by that. I am not anti-denomination. In fact, in many ways, I'm pro-denomination because I think it provides us with accountability, especially for pastors. There's a level of accountability above yourself and above your eldership. But over the years, we've seen organizations and denominations start to stray from teaching. It happens occasionally, for to be honest. So our unity has to be based on the Word of God, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, and sound biblical teaching. We are proudly members of the Church of God, but if the church of God were to start to stray, our first allegiance is to Jesus Christ, right? Not to any organization. And then maybe most importantly, because we confuse this one, unity is not the same as uniformity, right? Uniformity, uh, it's, you know, uh, you know, talking about my, my, my marriage again and, and meeting Anita. Uniformity oftentimes is what cults do, right? It can be false. We dress the same. We look the same. These are the specific practices we follow in regards to diet and, 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 and. That's not biblical unity. And God actually, while he created us for unity... He created us different, didn't he? I mean, I am so glad. I've met lots of interesting people since I've been here uh, from different backgrounds, everybody has a different story. I love that we can be unified but not uniform, right? And the church functions best when different people bring their unique skill sets to church. God creates us uniquely and the church needs your uniqueness. Say that again. God creates us uniquely, and the church needs your uniqueness. Look what it says. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That word apportion is kind of interesting. It's like he did different things with different people, right? To some he gave this. To some he gave that. As Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, and this is interesting. It's almost like, it feels like Paul goes off on a bit of a tangent here. He says... In fact, the, the, the uh, NIV puts it in parentheses, like it is a tangent. Uh, he says, this is why it said when he ascended on high, uh, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Paul, by the way, here is, is quoting a prophecy that's found in Psalm 68, and, and it's interesting He talks about two things here, gifts given, and also this captivity. The the New King James version actually does a little bit better job uh, translating this. It's more literal. Uh, He says uh, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. This is good news. He takes captivity captive. Okay, what does that mean? That means that Christ has already conquered all principalities, the powers of evil. He has conquered the devil, he has conquered sin, he has conquered death, and he has conquered hell. All right? He took captivity captive, and he gave gifts to his church. Let me say this. This church will be functioning at the level God designed When every one of us is using our gifts for his kingdom purposes, sometimes, and by the way, I I am not one that believes you have to use your gifts only at the church. God has some of us with a plan intended that we do use our gifts in special ways in the church. And many of us are called to do that. Many of you, by the way, are called to do that. But I think that it is even more profound when God gives us gifts that we can use out in the community as well, while tethered to this congregation. That's when we really start to function at the church. So it's, it's an old um, metaphor, but you know, a chain is only as strong as what? Its weakest link. The reality is the church functions best when everybody Young and old is using the way God created them in the church. By the way, every one of you, some of you are sitting here going, I have nothing to contribute to the church. It's not true. You just haven't found it yet. And God wants to lead you in that, that way. He wants to kind of show you what you can be. Um, you know, I remember over the years, um, well, we started the thing at one of the churches I worked at. We, uh, every church I work at seems to be across the street from the major high school in town or one of. Uh, We started a thing at one of the churches I worked at called Lot Dogs, okay? And it was, we just served hot dogs to high school kids after church on Thursdays. And and at one point we were serving almost close to 300 kids a week, totally free. We just give them free hot dogs, sit out and talk with them. But here's here's what fascinated me about it. I didn't know what this was gonna look like. I didn't know how we were gonna do it. You know who wound up staffing this and volunteering for this? are senior adults who are retired. And so after school on a Thursday, there'd be these folks out by the barbecue and on the tables we set up, there were all uh, over, most of them over 65, just meeting with high school kids and talking with them. Now, none of them had youth ministry training or even experience for that matter, but they'd had conversations before. And they were using their gifts, right? We always think, well, they want me to use my gifts in the church, there's no way I could teach a Sunday school class. Well, sure, you probably weren't intended to teach a Sunday school class. But there is some way that you were intended to serve in the church. God wants to work through your giftedness. It's interesting. Paul, somewhat out of the blue, then, then goes on this weird thing. It says... He says that he, you know, well, what is exactly, I'll just read it again what he exactly says. He says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He's pointing out that Christ ascended to heaven, right? We know that from the gospels. Christ ascended. But he's pointing out something interesting here that before he ascended, he and this is just logic 101, right? Before he ascended, he what? He descended. Now, we don't do that in our natural state. We're born here, right? And then hopefully one day we will ascend and be united. I think Paul here is pointing something out for us that in fact, we are called to descend, okay? Jesus made a decision, God made a decision to enter into his creation at the most fundamental level, right? He became human and walked among us and felt our pain And I think what Paul is saying here is, folks, we all have a chance, a choice here to descend into our community, to engage with, that we are no better than the folks that we see that are struggling roadside or in a broken marriage. We're called to step into that as his kingdom people and be encouragers and love people into the family of God. It's a challenge. I think that might be the reason he points this out. The image of an all-powerful God descending to serve and sacrifice for his people should, sure, should stir us, and it should stir us into wanting to find and discover our gifts and use them. You know, some of you, you know, well, let me give you an example. What's, what's the name of the new ministry I'm blanking? Extended hands. Extended hands. I love this idea. Okay, so think about this for a second. They're collecting meals and freezing them. Now, there are going to be some people that are helping prepare food for you, right? You, you did what? You prepared 68 meals yesterday. How many of you prepared? How many prepared? Who was? About eight of you there preparing. Now, I don't know who the eight were, but maybe none of them know how to teach Sunday school. Maybe they can't drive a bus. Maybe they're not meant to be on the property and finance team, but they love to prepare meals, Right using their gifts, using the way God wired them for, the kingdom world, uh, for their kingdom purpose. Our role is using our gifts. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You know, the, the rule followers, the circumcision group, the Judaizers. If you came to our assessment several weeks ago, how many were at the assessment? I was just pleased with the group of people we had there. If you're new to us, we, we had a group come in and kind of look at what some of our, kind of look at our giftedness as a congregation, what some of our strengths were, and we're kind of working on those things right now. But if you came to our assessment, you learned that sort of the number one area that our family here needs to work on is gifts-based ministry. That was, that was number one. This is something we're going to be discussing a lot in the coming months, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today. But but let me tell you where we're heading. Many of you kind of already know your giftedness. If you don't know your giftedness, we're going to find some tools and pathways for you to help find your giftedness and, and meet with you if you want and kind of go over some ideas. And then we're going to work on And this is the challenging part. If this is a family of faith that sort of jumps into this excitedly, then we're gonna have to work on starting to find places for you to serve here at Centralia Community Church, but also out in our community, potentially. Not all of our gifts are supposed... Some have been given the gift of evangelism. Well, by the way, let me tell you this. If you're a gift of evangelism, your best work is not gonna happen in this room, Right? So we're going to give you some ideas about how you can go apart about doing that. This is going to be exciting, but it's also a bit scary, right? Right? Because you know why it's a bit scary? Because you might have to do something. Not because the church calls you to, but because God says, yeah, you need to probably step into this. But let me tell you this, if you take the risk and step out and do something like this, I believe with all my heart and from my own personal experience, you will never be more joyful and more content. And here's why. Because God created each one of you for a purpose. And when you live into that purpose, you're living right into the very will of God. And when you're at the center of God's will, you will find peace and contentment regardless of what's going on around you. It will bring you great, great joy. But yeah, it's scary. I was reading this week that uh, violin virtuosos will tell you that if uh, a violin is not played, if it's not used for its purpose, the sound dulls and the tone falters. My nephew is in town. He plays the cello. Uh, Last summer, he played the cello. and We rented a cello for him. It was a brand new cello. And he said, I need to play this for a while. It doesn't sound right. Well, I think it's the same with our giftedness. Like that, like that violin. If it just sits around for a while, it starts, to, it starts to lose its tone and it starts to lose its pitch. But if we're using our gifts, we operate at the highest level. What happens when all of God's people use their gifts? Well, The scripture here seems to say several things happen. Number one, the work of the ministry is accomplished, right? By the way, we we seem to have more and more kids each week. You may be called to work with kids. Not teach a class, but just be sitting in with them. We We actually could use folks just sitting in with our kids and being their friend. It's a big one for us. The church is strengthened, and we're matured. This passage says we're matured. In fact, it says when we do this, we build up a defense against the liars and the scandalous folks who step into the church and, and spread false theology and false doctrine. It says we're no longer tossed around to and fro like the waves. We, we become grounded. We become mature. You see, developing a strong faith isn't just learning intellectually. Developing a strong faith involves learning intellectually what God wants you to do and how God wants you to live and then doing it. And that grows your faith. The result is a unique people committed to an eternal kingdom. Speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ from the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The bond of peace, love. Speaking truth in love. I love that phrase, speaking truth in love. We're not just to come here and tickle each other's ears, right, and say things we like to hear. Sometimes, there have been multiple times over 30 years where Anita has looked at me and said, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. I shouldn't have done that, uh, probably twice, right? In 31 years. Um, I'm lying, by the way. It's a weekly thing with me. You know, honey, I don't think a ladder was supposed to be used like that, that kind of thing. Um, but, but she tells me things, and we all know this in marriage, Anita has said things to me over the years that are hard, not because she's mad at me, not because she doesn't like me, but because she loves me. And so the church becomes this place of meaningful, sometimes difficult conversations, but where we grow together in the faith. A collection of imperfect people brought together by God as he works to perfect us. The church is a safe place. By the way, in the old days, you know, there were were times in the history of the American church where you couldn't let anyone see your brokenness. They had to come into church and look just right. I hope those days are over. I hope we can come into church now and say, you know, I messed up. And then have people kind of walk with you and hold you accountable and love you along the way. We, each need, we all need that, don't we? We all need that. It can be tough, but it's always good. A body, a body created by God, building one another up in love as each one of us does our work that God has assigned us. I started by discussing the Ponderosa, the ugly vehicle created by Payne Motors. Uh, I was thinking about that imagery, and I was thinking, well, if that's not what the church should be, you know what I think the church should be? I think the church should be a Formula One car. (laughs) Anybody here like open-wheel racing, like Formula One? Do we have any NASCAR fans? That's different, okay? NASCAR cars are, are, we used to call them stock cars, okay? They were designed, I mean, they they were theoretically in the old days just cars you could buy off the lot and then race them. They were stock. So even today, NASCAR cars sort of look like road cars, street cars. Formula One racing is different. It's called open wheel racing. There's different varieties of open wheel racing. But the interesting thing about Formula One as opposed to NASCAR is there's very little cosmetic about it. It's not designed to look like a street car. So these cars consequently go faster because every part, big or small, plays a role. There's no just shell on it for cosmetic purposes. Every little piece of this car plays a role in moving the car forward. Now, some of the pieces are very expensive pieces. Some of the pieces are less expensive. You know, you've got uh, pieces that take time to cast and are very, very pricey, made out of very expensive materials. And then you have rubber gaskets. But all of those pieces come together to create the fastest race car. And not any one piece is wasted. And if the smallest piece fails, it lowers the level of functionality of the automobile. I think the church is like that. Every piece of us was brought together here for a purpose. And when we all are stepping into our role and exercising our role, the church flourishes and the kingdom of God flourishes. Would you consider the role that God would have you to play as we move forward? I'm gonna give you some homework. Everybody ready for some homework? Nobody's ready for homework, are they? But let me give you some thoughts to to leave with today. First off, I would encourage you to go home and look at two passages of Scripture. The first is read the whole chapter of Romans 12. You just have to remember the number 12 really today. Romans 12, just read it. And also read 1 Corinthians 12. Go home and read both of those passages and kind of wrestle with them a little bit, pray over them, And I think that uh, as you do that, you may start to see your eyes opened up a little bit towards how God wants you to serve in his kingdom.